0: Day was an absolute delight. It was with Susan Delacorte, uh, and we talked a great deal about her new book called Shopping for Votes. The subtitle of the book is How Politicians Choose Us and We Choose Them. She's a uh Political columnist with the Toronto Star and iPolitics. She's been she's been working on on these issues and as a journalist since since the '80s. We talk a lot about the media. We talked uh, a lot about uh, Stephen Harper and Prime Minister Trudeau. We talked about uh, one of the lines was how Harper was was talking about dollars, but Trudeau Trudeau was talking about change. That was a a, a quote from Susan. I think we even get a Annie Hall reference into this interview, which is which is uh, a lot of fun. But there's something really hopeful and uh, wonderful about uh, Susan's book, but about her as well, and about about her approach, and um, so so I think you're going to really enjoy this interview for a variety of reasons. If you if you care about where we're heading as a country, if you care about politics, uh, and also there's a couple of great stories uh, 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 that that Susan has to tell, and about how they had an influence on on her writing and on this book. And so um, stay tuned for more with Susan Delacorte. Check out davidpecklive.com for more podcasts. If you'd like to hire me as a speaker or check out also uh, my book, Real Change, is incremental. You can get it there. Susan Delacorte. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and uh, we're joined today by an, an, another very special guest, a journalist, an author, uh, who has written a book called Shopping for Votes, subtitled How Politicians Choose Us and We Choose Them. Susan Delacorte is our guest today. Susan, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And from what I understand, you're still uh, writing with the Toronto Star and iPolitics. You're a political uh, columnist, uh, author. You've written several books. Uh, award winner, too. Uh,
1: award finalist, yes. Oh, oh well, oh. yeah, the... the um. The book made the finals for the Hillary Weston Award, and yes, I've received a couple of sort of career-long ones.
0: Nice. And and probably well-deserved would be my (laughs) guess.
1: I couldn't possibly say that. Right.
0: But we'll see if we can find somebody who will. Uh, Here's what Peter Mansford says about your new book, uh, Shopping for Votes. Quote, this may well be one of the most important and revealing books about Canadian politics written in some time. Delacorte does what Delacorte does best, breaks down the mystery and leaves you saying, now I get it. If you've ever wondered why political parties do what they do when they shop for your vote, the answers are on every page. Close quote. What a delightful quote. So, how much yeah, did you have I'm to pay be for that?
1: Peter back for that for a long time. <laughs> That's right.
0: That's right. There's going to be uh, dinner parties galore coming. That's right.
1: Yeah. I I, yeah. I I promise I gave him no money for that. But yes. It reads like an ad.
0: Maybe maybe a fifty dollars Chapters card is about. Maybe all. that yeah. would be nice. Yeah. 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 Something like that. So, well, I've almost finished the book, and I have to say, congratulations, and and what a delight to read. It's it, it reads like a journalistic piece, but it's 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 academic. It's important. It's got so much detail, uh, but also read really well in in a in a fun and a friendly sense as well. So yeah, t- a terrific read. Um, I thought I chose uh, uh, my political party.
1: No. You're, you're <laughs> well, yes, you do to an extent. Yeah. But um, I, I think the great irony of um, of politics right now, in you know, or at least for the last few decades, is. The less interested we've become, or citizens have become, in politics, the more interested they've become in us. Mm. They've had to work a lot harder. You know, gone are the days when a politician could casually wander up to a voter's doorstep and get to know the person inside. People don't answer their doors. They don't answer their phones. The polls are usually wrong. So um, what the politicians have said, as you know, as you've read, is that the people who are very good at knowing who their consumers are is the marketing world. So they've been borrowing tips and techniques from marketing for, you know, over half a century. As, as the consumer world grew and marketers got to know their, uh, their buyers better, the political people started borrowing the tips and techniques.
0: Like, I mean, on one level, it makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't they do that? Right. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a new medium. It's a new way of communicating. It's a new way of connecting with your constituents, et cetera, et cetera. But all of that sounds very sort of anti-relational in a sense. But if people aren't opening their doors, they've got to do something. But there's a sense in which, uh, I mean, I don't want to go too cynical, but you you sort of read the book and say, "Wow, really? This is how they're approaching us." Like it's it's almost as if there's uh, a dumbing down going on that, frankly, I find kind of alarming. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what made me write the book. Yeah. Um, because I've worked in Ottawa for a long time. And I was noticing that the. And
0: is that what you got the medal for? Is that what you got the yeah, award for? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: hanging in there. That's right. <laughs> um, but the. Uh, you know, when I, I. I think I wrote this in the preface. But when I first came to Ottawa, I, you know, I, I used to use metaphors to try to explain the relevance to people. And mm. so. Sometimes Ottawa felt like a courtroom, you know. Right. Uh, sometimes Ottawa felt a bit like a university lecture hall, especially during the Constitution. My degree is in politics, so I regarded it as sort of a, you know, an internship or a, a, a working education mm-hmm. in, in what I'd learned in school. But I found the longer I was here, the less those metaphors were working. Mm. And it became clear to me that that the language of the malls and the mm-hmm. uh, the advertising world were more useful to people in trying to understand what people were doing. You know that, um, and I think there, there was a real attempt to appeal to voters just through their wallets. That the only way that things were relevant to people was if it hit them in their pocketbook, which is you know those pocketbook issues. People don't say pocketbook in real life. Right, right. Pocketbook politics. So it, it, it occurred to me that it felt cynical. It felt a little transactional. Yeah, for, it, for sure. Yeah. And and I'm not sure sort of allows people to be their best selves. But the, the, the phrase I kept using was you know, we t- keep talking about value for the dollar, but we didn't talk about values or values of the heart and the mind.
0: Well, I've, I've often wondered if governments are driven, you know, uh, by, by, by the bottom line, certainly not necessarily by human rights or by, you know, uh, relational principles, right? It's about the budget, it's about the line item and so on. And, 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 and you know, because I'm a social change guy and because I want to think I can change the world and so my, you know, my students can as well, you want to be able to say things with a certain degree of hope but but yeah, if I but if your government is just all about the bottom line we're in deep trouble aren't we
1: well it's not just the government though i right. you know the government just doesn't run charge off in some direction willy-nilly they're often doing this because they sense a demand and i think the media my own profession has played a bit of a mm-hmm. role in this mm-hmm. the problem is that the values Are very hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. And the media loves to quantify things, it loves to measure things, it loves to say that, you know, this is 10% more or 10% less. And so I think that we became, we certainly have enabled a dialogue in which politics is only about things that you can measure with numbers and and preferably with dollar figures. So uh, there's, also, political parties need to raise money, Yeah. Um, more so and more so now, um, and the, the successful parties, thanks to fundraising reforms, are the ones who raise little tiny bits of money, you know, like uh, tiny donations, uh, you know, widespread donations. So, well, in the sense that they operate as fundraising machines, too, of course they have lots to talk about with sure. the marketing world.
0: So, So, at what point do I just jump off the old Islington Bridge?
1: Please don't. Please. Yeah, that's the question. <laughs>
0: because I, I go, you know, I, 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 I want to talk about what's happening at a higher level. I also want to talk about grassroots. How do we meet in between? I mean, that, that's that's where change is going to occur. You know, the whole, you know, at the risk of sounding corny again, splash and you know, p- splash and ripple. That's that's the way things happen. So, so I want to talk about how our government is in c- is complicit. To, uh, you know, coming alongside cluster munitions, for instance. Right? Okay, so it's pretty nuanced and we're going in a little deeper and so on. And yet, what you're kind of saying to me in in, in shopping for votes is that uh, actually you don't really, David. All you really want to talk about is how much money the government's going to save you because of childcare or healthcare or wait times. It's all got to be quantifiable.
1: Well, here's where the 2015 election sort of plays with my thesis. And I, I think... Um, I did this on the current when they they asked me to um, to sum up Harper's legacy, and I said that <laughs> Which I was, is
0: kind of an unfair question in some regards.
1: Oh, well, but it was such a fun way to do it. Though. <laughs> um, I did it with a cash register. Ah, the the okay. sound of a cash register.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: The very first time that people started to think he could become prime minister was when he stood beside a cash register in an electronic store in the campaign of December two thousand and five. And in the town of Oakville, I, SC. SC. I find.
0: It was a town of Oakville, wasn't it, that he did that I in?
1: think it was... Um,
0: Mississauga, something like that? It
1: might have been Mississauga. West end of Oakville, Toronto, anyway. Oakville was Tim Hortons.
0: Tim Hortons, that's right. The Tim mm-hmm. Hortons in Oakville, yes.
1: And he was standing by a cash register there, too. Um, but... Uh, but he stood by a cash register and announced that his government would lower the GST. Never mind that it would bankrupt the treasury.
0: Yes, tw- that was a twelve to fourteen billion dollar kind of mistake, was it not? Right. That's, yeah. That's,
1: yeah. Economists agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. So, but that that was really, I, I, that was the first bookend, and the final bookend was, in the last week of the 2015 election campaign, he developed a little. Pattern a routine on the stage, which he did with the Ford brothers. Right, remember? Yes, to the I The ping sound of a cash register. Yes, um, and throwing money on the table literally to show how much a liberal government would cost Canadians, and it didn't work. So I think it, the cash register sound and the noise and the image are a really good set of bookends to Stephen Harper's career, or maybe, maybe a decade in which. That was a very powerful image, but I hmm. think the election gave me a little bit hmm. of hope, not oh. because of the outcome, but because it revolved around Syrian refugees. Right. It revolved around the kneecap. We were actually having a discussion about Canadian values and foreign policy even in a Canadian election campaign, which told me that that's still out there, that people are not only voting with their wallets, People are not always yes. looking for yes. discounts on their taxes. Right. The winner promised to put the country into deficit, um, which says that people understand that there is more to life than seeing a discount on their taxes when they check out of the, you know, to the the metaphorical uh, cash register every year at tax time. That that people are looking for a little bit more. So you know,
0: I went to see. I went to see. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, in Georgetown about a year and a half before I think he launched the campaign. And just because I was starting to, I don't know, I guess listen a little more closely and uh, and ended up leaving work early. And, you know, there was about 80 to 100 people there and he was he was he was intimate, he handled q and a well he spoke well, he was un, in a hurry, so he didn't have a lot of time to chat but i left I left encouraged from that meeting, and I remember coming home and talking to my wife about it, Elizabeth, and just saying, you know there there's a substance here that I don't think I've seen in a while now you know who knows where we're going to head and where things are going to go so I too I think felt a little bit of that hope that i hope that I hope most other Canadians felt as well as they went to the pools. Uh, that that stands out and above and beyond the cash register, you know? Well,
1: let let me tell you the story about how Trudeau got an an, an ever-increasing role in this book.
0: Are you allowed to call him Trudeau just because you're a journalist?
1: Uh, well I guess I should call him the prime minister. It <laughs> wasn't Trudeau then he was
0: I always always love <laughs> those scenes in like the West Wing when when somebody was like you know trying to be disparaging toward the president and they'd refer to him as Bartlett and then then one of the guys would go that's president Bartlett.
1: That's right. <laughs> I've asked I asked the staff what they call him. Oh okay. Uh, uh, these are his old old friends, you know, in yes. there and they call him prime minister.
0: Uh, okay. Well, it kind of makes sense.
1: But uh, whatever you want to call him, I'll yes. tell you how he got in the book. <laughs> so there's a a, a place, a, a restaurant in Ottawa called the Metropolitan, which is right in the center of the action. And in fact, as we are speaking today, it sits in front of where the sinkhole is in Ottawa. Oh, okay. But it's a much trafficked site. You know, you, you sit there and you see the world go by. Right. So in the initial writing of this book in 2012. Um, Trudeau had not yet even declared whether he was going to be running for leader. We suspected he was getting interested in it. But I was sitting out on a terrace there on a nice summer day with a friend of mine explaining that I was at the part in the book where I was describing and realizing, learning, I guess, how bad the Liberals were at the marketing game. They They were dreadfully behind the New Democrats and the Conservatives. They didn't seem to like the idea of marketing and I was pointing with my hand in the direction of the convention center and saying, I watched them at that convention, and they did not like this stuff. And into my hand, like that point in the Woody Allen movie where Marshall McLuhan shows up, (laughs) Justin Trudeau walks up to my...
0: Oh, come on.
1: I'm not kidding. And he says, and I said to my friend, I said, well, here, he'll explain it. Why are you guys so bad at this? So he gave me a little us a little speech about why liberals took a different view of marketing, Mm -hmm. niche marketing, boutique tax credits, um, off the, on on the fly. And my friend, who had never been around Trudeau before either, was quite impressed. She said, I didn't know that he could do that. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I've got to get that in this Mm -hmm. book. So the first version, first draft of the book, which, for complicated reasons, had to be rewritten again because of publisher problems a year later. Um, Anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So that that version, that that little speech by by Trudeau got into the first version of the book. My book went into bankruptcy protection, my publisher did, for for about six months. And in the meantime, I traveled with Trudeau writing an e-book for the Toronto Star.
0: Oh, neat. Okay.
1: So I spent a couple of months getting to know him and seeing him out in the road and then so the next version of the book had even more of him in it and he took he takes quite an interest in this subject he's interested in advertising so he got a bigger part and of course the next time I went to rewrite it for the paperback edition the one we're talking about now he had to have the last two chapters because his his views his views have evolved a bit mm. on that i think mm. they have really embraced some of the tools uh, that their rivals used in in data marketing and data collection. But um, their conviction is, and they would say this, of course, but I think they say it with some justification, is that they're using the tools for different reasons. Mm. That that they actually do believe that you can use modern marketing tools to have a conversation about values in Canada and about what binds us together as a community.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, if you want to extend the analogy or the metaphor, you can use a screwdriver as a chisel. (laughs) You know, you can use it as a pry bar. right? I mean, I think it it does come down to the questions that you take into it and some of the assumptions you make and so on. You know, I... I, uh, it's it's really interesting. I, I find your book sort of this mix of of sort of not not c- cynicism is the wrong word. It's just a kind of a dose of reality. I mean, I love I love the quote by by Gerald Butts at the beginning. I, I, I you know at the beginning of the book in the introduction, the idea of being a consumer quote has become such a funda- way, fundamental way of being that it's absorbed into who we are but says you can lament it you can applaud it or you can celebrate it or you can hate it it is what it is mm-hmm. never been a big fan of the phrase it is what it is because yeah, me it's yeah. just it's a great way of saying nothing right yeah. it's just you know it's oh well that's you know you, you might as well not fight it folks you, but let's absolve ourselves of any kind of moral sense of responsibility here but but the fact that i think anyone at that level is so willing to say i'm a consumer therefore don't yep. you find that a bit troubling
1: I sure do. Yeah, like no, that. I figured
0: you <laughs> yeah. figured you'd say so. It yeah, bothers the just, heck out of me. I mean, nice nice Marshall McLuhan reference too, but I think I think he'd probably agree.
1: Yeah, I you know, I'm not I'm still not sure I agree with but that um he believes that the last election was fundamentally about pocketbook issues. Mm. I I don't. Mm. I don't mm. think it was. Um I don't think that was on everybody's mind. I think change was on people's minds, right. to complete the cash register analogy I've used before. Harper was talking about dollars, and Trudeau was talking about change. Right. Um, nice. So, but I, I, you know, they're the ones looking at the data every day. They uh, seem to know what, what, or seem to think they know what was on people's minds, and they Maybe this is cynicism. Maybe this is experience. I don't know. But but the political pros seem to think that what moves votes is what um, people's concerns closest to home. Right. And that's why Trudeau went into a radio studio and um, and taped forty ads in one day. Wow. Uh, all with with. Little local concerns put in them some right. of those concerns aren't little themselves, but um, but particular local concerns they were gathering up data to find out what was making people angry, what would make them vote, and then uh, this all went was plotted on a huge chart and then um, ads designed for those particular communities concerned
0: so do you do, Susan, do you believe like alongside of Harper and Reagan that the pictures were? All that the viewers remembered to quote uh, Reagan in, in, in your book. You know, that's you know you, Reagan had a huge opi- impact on Stephen Harper apparently, and and how he approached this. Uh, it's
1: interesting. Know. Ronald Reagan had an in, an impact on Trudeau too. Mm. Um, he uh, he some of their advertising they were deliberately trying to channel the morning in America right um, uh, feeling that that Ronald Reagan brought. Um, no i i don't think I could be a journalist if I believed that was
0: well <laughs> I mean a, I guess that I guess already here's your follow up question and you haven 't even answered the question and please take it wherever you want to go with it, but you know is a picture really worth a thousand words i mean i've never bought that personally.
1: people do care about the pictures yeah,
0: yeah, no, no for sure
1: I think they do and uh, um and certainly uh, they seem to like the um, the pictures of Justin Trudeau. Uh, <laughs> True. It's, it they have uh, they are playing image politics far a, a, as well as Harper did. Sure. Harper paid a lot of attention to it too. Um, and th- these guys the, the liberals are playing it just as well and I don't, you know, it's it, it's kind of a cheap answer but I don't think they'd be doing it if it didn't work. Right. And the, the energy that all politicians devote to that image stuff is, um, is huge. Uh, that was a pretty neat, like, a pretty interesting advertising group. I spent a lot of time talking to Trudeau's advertising people um, to do this update. And they were taking some chances that mm. were interesting, although I, I love that the same people who did the "Joe, I am Canadian" ads in <laughs> the early 2000s yeah. did, the Brampto, did all the ads for Trudeau. This time, it too. cracks cracks You could actually see the similarities. You he could hear the cadence.
0: Yeah, that. no, it's it's true. You know, there's there. Uh, my son and I were uh, in our basement. TV was on. I can't remember what 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 was happening. Uh, but it was it was a real quick kind of peripheral almost catch of the screen. And there was Justin uh, walking towards the screen and uh, Parliament in the background, a steady cam shot, you know, wonderful shot of him. And he said, you know, Stephen Harper says I'm not ready. for I'll tell you what I'm ready for. And bam, bam, bam. And it was like four or five things in a row. My son, 10 years old, says that he didn't say anything negative. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away right that a 10-year-old would have would have been perspicuous enough to see that to to make a note about it to to actually comment on it and then you go wow the, the, and and I, I hadn't really reflected on it until I read your book again wow it really must have worked but the fact that my son it resonated I'd like to think my son doesn't care about the cash register Susan right no and
1: uh, you know? i think that this is what uh, th- you know th- Trudeau had some true believers there in the advertising, you know, who were right. very upset about Stephen Harper.
0: Right, and right. Those
1: people at Ben Simon Byrne were, you know, they, they shared, um, they, they weren't just being paid. They,
0: they, were, had they shared, were in.
1: They, they had got religion on this.
0: Right, you know, right. Drunk the Kool-Aid.
1: Yeah. And, yep. I, you know, as the book says, you're not supposed to repeat an allegation. It's the oldest rule, one of the oldest rules in politics if, you know, the Nixon, I am not a crook all people will remember is, you know, you, you don't repeat the allegation. And Trudeau had been told that and learned that as well. But I think, I, I, I love this, it was kids that actually persuaded him that the the you're, I'm not ready charge or he's not ready had penetrated to every level. Right. One of his friend's nannies said that when Trudeau's name was mentioned around their house. The kids were saying, "Nice hair." <laughs> you know, so, so if the ad had got to kids, then there was only one way to do it, and it was to walk straight into it. Mm. I like the. I thought it was. Um, you know, it was one of those things you sort of know instinctively, but then the ad guys said that they did. It was very deliberate that they put Trudeau moving in every ad, yes. as opposed to they wanted to show him doing things that Tom Mulcair and Stephen Harper would not do.
0: Right. Right. Climbing
1: Grouse Mountain, walking upstairs on sure. an escalator. They,
0: Not the shot behind a static desk with the lamp at night kind of approach.
1: Right. And a friend of mine told me that the Mocare ads looked like those insurance those those ads you get from, you know, lawyers who will deal with your car crash. Right, right. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, there were no... Well, I, again, the pattern was set really early. Sure. Uh, the day of the election... Uh, Actually, you could distill the first day of the election into how the election was going to turn out because Harper and MoCare stayed in Ottawa, put themselves against the backdrop of big, grey, immovable buildings, and talked about Ottawa things. And everybody said that Trudeau was an idiot for getting on a plane. He's just not ready. Right. Got on a plane, went halfway across the country, went all the way across the country to Vancouver, and a few hours later turns up, funny skies behind him a bunch of people and the contrast between yeah, oh. that kind of politics yeah. and was it was, it was there well, like they one, right they want
0: didn't he humanize it to some degree, Susan? What's that? Didn't he humanize it to some degree?
1: And Did he showed that this camp, uh, that the election wasn't going to be won by who was the, the angriest person in yeah. Ottawa.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a real guy. I, I actually do want to shake your hand. I do care yeah. about the issues. The images yeah. might be saying this, yeah. but I've also, and this is kind of taking the tools, I think, and using them wisely and appropriately, but I'm also on the ground over here, you know? I'm
1: yeah, I this isn't in the book, but I saw him at the end of June last year mm-hmm. when things were looking really, really bad. So this mm-hmm. about a year ago now, mm-hmm. and everybody was saying that Tom Mulcair was going to be the next right. Prime Minister, and the the Liberals' polls were showing them that way, too. It was that, last summer. And the not-ready ads had worked. Um, and I ran into him at a, he actually gave a speech on Kennedy-U.S. relations at the Chateau-Laurier, mm-hmm. and I said, are you worried at all? Are you uh, upset? Are you seeing these? And he said, no. He said, you've been on the road out there with me. You see what's happening. And he knew, unlike his predecessor, Michael Ignatieff, who seemed to be caught flat-footed when Jack Layton said, why haven't you been in Ottawa? Right. Trudeau was very unapologetically not in Ottawa. As Liberal right, leader, right, he had uh, he spent as little time here as possible, and the campaign showed that.
0: Do you think? Do you think that Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, treated Canadians with a little more respect, w- with from a, from a from an ad campaign perspective? Does that make sense? I. Like treated them more like, as opposed to just the Tim Hortons, you know, like the Tim Horton Canadian. Uh, yeah, actually. I think
1: I think he he I think their advertising fundamentally spoke to a, a different thing. I think the NDP got close to that too, right? Especially in the campaign before Jack Layton definitely did. Um, a, a lot of the you know, a, a lot of the Liberals' ideas came from both places sure. too. You know, they didn't just dream these up, and I I think they did want to channel some of Jack Layton's spirit too the the guy you want to have a beer with the guy yeah, who says sure. Ottawa is broken uh, the you know the guy who seems to have a smile on his face all the time that that was definitely you know uh, it it helped that they had a guy who could do that, that that Trudeau is i think fundamentally an optimistic person he reminds a lot of people for good and for ill of his father right yep so i i think they had if you want to use marketing language, they had a, a credible salesman. Right. But um, but yeah, I think. Well, I, I don't just think I know. I think they they were convinced all the way through, and this was very much Trudeau that you could speak to people optimistically. And, and
0: don't and don't we all want to believe that there is a leader out there that we can trust, who is mm-hmm. going to be transparent, who is going to lead us in the right way?
1: Well, not if you stay here in Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah.
0: you, but you get the medal though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, it's very important for us to get out of here every now and then. Right. I was really glad that I, um, in retrospect, that, my, uh, that I got a chance to spend some time out in the road with Trudeau a couple of years before the uh. election, because you did see something was going on out there that I don't think people here in Ottawa understood. Mm. The, the Conservatives were fond of saying that Trudeau was the media darling. Right. I, unless there are different reporters in Ottawa than the ones I know— I, I didn't. There wasn't a whole lot of we. The Ottawa Press Gallery collectively is a pretty cynical pack. I bet. And I, I didn't detect a lot of affection for Trudeau.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Before the uh, before the election, and still, you know, you get the. I think he's got some grudging respect now. Right. But he, it certainly, when he landed here, I don't think he was taken seriously by the usual pundit and chattering classes. And I think you had to go out there on the road with him to see what. Was going on the story again i'm not sure whether this is in the book but i tell it often is i was in winnipeg on a friday night in february uh and it was 40 degrees below zero and a friend there told me that she was going off to a trudeau event at 10 o'clock at night Hmm. on a friday night and uh, she said if you're doing this book you should go and see and i said who is going to show up on a friday night at 10 o'clock and 40 below weather Right. And we drove 20 minutes outside of the center of Winnipeg to a suburb there, and there were 400 people waiting to see him. Wow. And that was two years wow. before the election. Wow. So something was going something on. Something was going on. And it wasn't just marketing, and it wasn't just imagery, and it certainly wasn't the, you know, the recommendations of the political class in Ottawa.
0: So, after all these years, the political writing, the journalism, the interviews, the traveling i mean are you are you currently hopeful? I mean, I think I yep. can hear that tone in your voice
1: yep, I am, yeah, I am.
0: Tell me more about that
1: um I, I was um, i I think a, a lot of my hope was restored during the meCAab debate huh. I, I, uh, for a while there it felt like a very bleak time mm. and I say this without partisan um, with with no partisan bent or anything like that although as, as a journalist i think you know we had to object to a lot of things that were going on with sure. the conservatives when sure. they were in sure um, but i thought that was a really black time there that, and if it had worked if if, this, if the dog whistle politics had worked during the election campaign you know regardless of which party was was promoting them I would have been in a pretty bleak mood.
0: Because of where this was potentially going to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, the shutting down of conversation, the the inherent uh, racism, the, et cetera.
1: Snitching on your neighbor. Right. right? That's the opposite of yeah. politics, yeah. right? That's, um, that's a bit distressing. And the fact that it didn't work, and the fact that, that 3 million more people voted in this campaign yeah, than f- voted the last time, tells me that all our work here is not in vain. You know, sometimes you think that nobody's listening. And I I take it, you know, media companies don't share their numbers or something like that, but the media company, uh, the, the numbers or figures I heard during the campaign was that a lot of people were paying attention to the election. And I went to Toronto, which admittedly is not representative of all of Canada, but in the middle of August I went to Toronto and stood on a street corner with a candidate, NDP candidate actually, and uh I was surprised by how many people coming out of the subway knew that an election was on
0: <laughs> no, that's
1: and we're al- you know we're always shocked and grateful now that anybody knows what's going on Yeah, that's here. true, but it was it seemed to count to people right? this uh this last election and i I think even now the conservatives you saw the jokes I guess from the press gallery dinner over the weekend, yes, you sort of yes. realized that that something went a little off the rails in the last few years. Yes, and, yes. And it's, it's time to get it back. I don't think Stephen Harper was a bad man, as the royal Brothers said. Yes, right. Uh, but I think, I think things got a little too cynical here.
0: Do you, thi- do you think that if politicians treated, you know, Canadians... I'm not going you know forget about Tim Horton's for a second, but just Canadian's period a little more intelligently with a little more um i don't know uh uh just talked about and I th- and I think Trudeau did this, but just talk to us a little bit more as fellow Canadians uh, respectfully, uh, in a more transparent way, in a more truthful way. I mean, a lot of people said that that he was wrong to apologize for the, you know, elbow gate incident, which I think is uh, would be a lovely and interesting conversation to have with you at another time. But, but just that level of, I don't know, humanity, honesty, I, I mean, I think that's what most people want. And I think I, I think this election sort I of... I do, too.
1: And, uh, you know, if you'd asked me about three weeks ago, I would have been a little more worried about them, frankly, these guys, because they were starting to do a few of the things, and Trudeau has now since said it, that rushing things through the House, uh, ignoring the opposition, and then, you know, the, the elbow was just sort of the tip of the iceberg mm. there. And I, I was one of the people... Uh, saying on Twitter, he better apologize and he better make it a real apology, not one of those if anyone was offended ones. Right. And I I think there, there seems to be some evidence that uh, he or his advisors or all of them had a little chat with themselves and decided this isn't our best self. Right. That's uh, Let's do this again. My husband um, wrote a column about this in uh, National News Watch uh, last weekend and. The response to that that column has shown me that it was huge readership. And I think it was because people, it, he, he said that it was interesting and laudable, but somebody was actually backing down from things. And I think Canadians understand that too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think something has happened here in the past few weeks that um, convinces me that they these guys haven't forgotten that they were elected to be right. different.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I guess obviously time will tell and how things unfold over the next few years. But I, yeah, I, I'm 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 hopeful too. I uh, I think there's uh, uh, lots to uh, lots of ripples uh, still to come. They're
1: still calling press releases product, so I don't. Oh man. Gonna, yeah. So
0: so so back to that whole you know we'll, we'll wrap things up here in a couple minutes. But but um, back to that whole consumeristic kind of thing. That uh, to me, it's really dehumanizing, right? I mean. I'm not a consumer. I, I, I'm a human being, for heaven's sakes. I've got feelings. I do access. But from a marketing perspective, I guess it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, well, I
1: think if we can remember that we're sometimes consumers and sometimes we don't want, sometimes we want to actually pay more for things. Right. You know, that's uh, Sometimes we uh, don't care about the cost because something else is more important to us. And I think that's, uh, you know, I don't spend my days shopping and right. I don't spend my yeah. days looking at at. Every one of my decisions is a prism of what is the best shopping well, experience.
0: Well, no, no need to invoke marks, but I'm not a commodity. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: And, and don't treat me that
1: way. That's right. Yeah. Uh,
0: my son and I and my daughter, uh, Victoria and Spencer, you know, from time to time will watch uh, ads. They'll come on and, you know, oh, wow, I really love this ad. Or, but there was a time when it was kind of uh, with them, at, at even a couple of years ago, hey, can, can you spot the lie? Where, where's the lie in the advertisement
1: oh that's a good idea yeah, yeah and
0: it's pretty interesting and i i don't know that it's had a huge impact on them i think time will tell but but it is interesting to see that i, I think my kids are fairly um hmm, attentive viewers yeah. yeah and i think i've always maintained i don't care so much about what's on the tube or what's being offered i care more about the analysis more about the you know being able to say no i don't want to see that movie or that is a lie or yeah. don't you know this this shampoo is not gonna make me uh, you yeah. know uh, a better catch
1: yeah well you saw the the when when really sort of the the consumerist revolution hit with the um in in the nineteen fifties and sixties that that people even then were suspicious of ads and you saw right. Chatelaine warning people you can be an educated consumer right and i i I think you know people are rewarded for that.
0: Well, and let's and let's hope that continues, uh, you know, politically as well. I mean, let's hope that there is sort of a, a new light that's been shone, and, and not only in this this whole sort of uh, consumeristic approach to to marketing and to, uh, sorry to, to to politics, but may, maybe maybe the tools, maybe that's the observation or the insight for me is that maybe the tools can be used in a in a more positive and a hopeful way.
1: Use their forward. powers for good, not evil. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah, well, you got to quote Spider Man, you know, when you can. With great power <laughs> comes great responsibility, it seems yeah. to me. Uh, Susan, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thanks. Uh, this was great fun. Susan Delacourt, she's a political columnist with the Toronto Star and iPolitics and uh, she's been covering uh a place, uh, Canada's capital since uh, since the 80s that apparently you've got to get away from from time to uh, time to time and my family and I are going there this summer. So, uh are you telling me we should go hang out at the Metropolitan is that?
1: Exactly. You never know who will walk by.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds sounds fun. The book is Shopping for Votes: How Politicians Choose Us and How We choose them Susan Delacorte thanks so much for for being a guest today at to
1: event thanks Susan